You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. One mission, bringing Major League Baseball to Oregon. Powered by the Portland Gear Store, this is the Diamonds and Roses podcast. And without further ado, your hosts, Ben and David. I'm Ben. And I'm Dave. And welcome to the Diamonds and Roses podcast. What's going on, Dave? Well, nothing much. Just gearing up for an outstanding episode, looking into the history and uh, culture of baseball in Portland uh, as we as we get more and more excited as the possibility and, and likelihood of Major League Baseball coming to Portland becomes a reality. Uh, today, we're gearing up on something pretty cool. And what's that, Dave? Uh, it's the Vaughn Street Park, uh, an iconic and significant uh, ballpark uh, around the early that was built in Portland around the early 20th century. Is that the Lucky Beaver Park, Dave? Well, it actually had many names. It so did. It did. Interesting. And what, 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 tell me more about the Vaughn Street Park, Dave. Well, the Vaughn Street Park was actually first built uh, around 117 years ago in 1901. Um, it was financed by some uh, shrewd business owners, uh, E.I. Fuller and C.F. Swigert. Uh, they, they actually uh, had, had kind of made uh, something of a fortune uh, running trolley lines around the Portland area. And they actually had, uh, they had some trolley lines in the area of nor- in northwest Portland around 20, uh, 25th and Vaughn, 24th and Vaughn. And that's where uh, they decided to build their ballpark. Um, and it was really a, just a kind of a financial investment. And they really, uh, they, they hope to profit from it, from it uh, and also profit from the baseball itself. But also they figure they just get more people to ride their trolleys. So it was a twofold investment. Oh, so all these trolleys were around the city of Portland. And so these two gentlemen decided that they wanted to build a baseball park in the area. And expect that all these baseball players will come here and there'll be lots of crowds. Yeah, but but prior prior to that, um, leading up to that, uh, Portland had, was kind of in a transitional phase with, with baseball. Uh, in 1896, they had, uh, uh, Portland's former professional team had just folded, so in the late, in the late 19th century. Um, and there was the creation of a new team, the Portland Webfoots, and they had deb- uh, debuted in 1901. So this is, this is before the construction of, of, and the investment in the Vaughn Street Park. So the Webfoots uh, debuted in 1901, and they, they were pretty successful. They won the Pacific Northwest League title that year in 1901. And the following year, the league merged with the California League to become Pacific Coast League, which uh, still you know is still in use today. So that Pacific Coast League has been around for a long time, since 1902. And the Webfooters... Okay, they went from the Portland Webfoots to the Webfooters, and after several name changes in a couple years, uh, they became the Portland Beavers. Okay, in, the, in that early in the early uh, part of the 20th century. Wow! And uh, so, how many? seats did this stadium have when it was built? And, and, and at, according to the, some of the research I did, it was built in, what, 1901, if I'm correct? Uh, yeah. So Vaughn Street Park, uh, it opened uh, May 22nd of 1901. It was first known, it didn't have the Vaughn Street attached to the name. It was just known as 
baseball park. Um, and it opened, it kind of debuted, uh, unfortunately, since we're in the Pacific Northwest, uh, it was a soggy, soggy, soggy May Day, as they often are. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, Port- Portlanders are a tough and hearty crowd, so they, they, they learn how to handle it, play in the rain and, and figure it out. Um, and it, it, But the rain kept coming down pretty hard. So um, before the, the, the game was slated for 3.30 p.m., but rain had, rain had been coming down hard since that, since that morning. There were puddles around home plate, uh, mud in the outfield, uh, not professional baseball standards as we know it today. But 1,500 baseball fans still showed up, which is significant because, I mean, baseball, you know, still was, it was popular, but it wasn't at its peak. But 1,500 baseball fans showed up in the rain. Uh, Police Chief D.M. Laughlin, okay, the, the Portland Police Chief, uh, D.M. Laughlin, threw out the ceremonial first pitch. And the Portlanders formerly the web puts, but the Portlanders ended up uh, winning their first game against the uh, their bitter rival Spokane. Um, and they were all, both teams were a part of the brand new four club Pacific uh, Pacific Northwest League. So it was only a, only a four team league at this point in 1901. Mm-hmm. But um, now they, they, they got their win officially, Portland did, but the game was called after only uh, four and a half winnings because, uh, innings because the rain was just too much to deal with. Yeah, I'd read one of the interesting things in a newspaper paper article that it says uh, the weather was suitable for a frolic of healthy ducks. So based upon like what you're telling me with these puddles and torrential downpour, I, I can imagine that, you know, they, they had to end the game pretty early. Yeah. Um, and, and again, um, basically, it was for, for the next 54 years, which we'll be covering some of the, the things that happened in the interim. But for the next 54 years after that, Vaughn Street Park was Portland's uh, Portland's iconic temple and shrine of baseball. So, uh, again, it, it was it, it was lasting by today's standards, mm-hmm. 54 years. So in 1903, OK, so we had that you had that four team league, relatively small league. But baseball popularity in the early 20th century uh, really, really started to grow between 1900 and 1920. Um, as, as, as a product of what you have is with the Industrial Revolution and, and life uh, becoming easier for people and, and people becoming less agrarian and people moving to cities and they had, they had, there was more technology so people had more leisure time because stuff was getting done in an automated yeah. fashion, the assembly line. So people had more time for leisure. So more people were not only playing baseball, more people were watching baseball mm-hmm. because you know life, life in the 19th century was all about basically work, sleep, and death essentially. Yeah. So uh, 19 and, and so baseball grew in popularity tremendously as a byproduct of our culture shifts. So in 1903, um, the larger Pacific Coast League expanded into Portland, and the team was rebranded the Browns. The Browns. So that kind of the Pacific Coast League absorbed the Portland team and rebranded them the Browns, um, and it marked the start of a speared baseball rivalry between the Rose between the Rose City, our Portland squad, and our always rivals. Um, our, Seattle, our, 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 our brother to the north, our sister to the north, Seattle. Yeah. Uh, that first season, Portland didn't do too well. Uh, they finished la- dead last in the six club le- uh, six club lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, uh, these the, the name changes, these league changes, and these name changes were really constants uh, during this time period. Um, so in 1903, uh, they actually rechristened not only the team, they rechristened the stadium um, Recreation Park, which is interesting, you know, in terms of recreation was, was, a, was a popular idea in the early, 19, uh, early 20th century um, because this whole, this whole idea of recreation didn't really exist mm-hmm. in, in, in the older society. So you've got Recreation Park. Tickets range from 25 cents for the bleacher, 
bleachers, not not the not the most desirable seats. Mm-hmm. So you got twenty five cents to fifty cents in the grandstand, um, and uh, ch- children under twelve could see Wednesday games for free from the bleachers. Uh, you know, as part of that family whole family promotion. You know, putting that in inflationary in, in inflationary costs, you're looking at about in, in the turn of the century pro- probably about 25, uh, 20, 20 to twenty five times inflation. So that's the equivalent of that would be equivalent of, of um, five bucks for the bleachers, uh, ten bucks for the grandstand. Um, that, that'd be about the equivalent today. Yeah. So, so really cheap, even by yeah. today's standards, if you put that in terms of inflation. And that was probably to get more people out to the game so they can fill the seats and people can enjoy um, baseball. But, it, you know, it's not like today where there's TVs and you can go watch baseball on your TV at home. This is live entertainment. And so it's trying to be as cheap and effective as possible by getting the bleachers filled is my guess. It makes me nostalgic. And just to think about, you know, in terms of it, it's kind of romanticized but again people didn't have all the leisure options yeah so baseball wasn't competing with a lot of other things Mm -hmm. wasn't that competition yeah Yeah. exactly so in 1905 a couple years later um the 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 park got to the point where uh the owners of the park got got to the point where they could lease it out and make some money off it and they were using it for other other things other than baseball uh they the lewis and clark in 1905 the lewis and clark uh exposition um was was held next to the stadium, and uh, there, there were some track meets there. Mm-hmm. Uh, next season was the first that the team would be known as the Beavers. So in 1905, that's when they the, the baseball team at the same time uh, officially changed its name to the Beavers. Yeah, and I did um, some research on the uh, the Lewis and Clark Centennial Exposition because I wanted to know. I was doing a little bit of information, looking into this a little bit. Excellent. And uh, they it was it's been informally described as the World's Fair. So I mean, I've never personally been to one, but I can only imagine how how big it is and that it said it attracted exhibits and visitors from around the world and that it lasted four months and 1.6 million visitors along with 21 exhibits from different countries. And if you think about how difficult travel and transportation were in those days, I mean, that's amazing that it could get a draw, not not at a central Midwest location, but to a Northwest location where, you know, it's, it's a lot tougher. So that's an amazing draw. Yeah. 1.6 million. That's a lot of people. Yeah, and uh, again, but uh, in that same year, the name for the team must have been pretty lucky. Uh, that team, the Beavs, brought home the pennant in 1906 and would win the uh, championship seven more times while playing in the stadium. Stadium, um, and so uh, the Beavers was was the Beaver name change was a good thing. Yeah. A few years down the road, and again, um, prior to World War One, the stadium took a huge step forward in uh, 1912. So again, we're we're still in that kind of still in that industrial revolution, technological boom age, and baseball is just blowing up at this point. There were new owners at that point, and they decided uh, it was wor- worthwhile to invest a bunch of money into rebuilding the bleachers and the grandstands. Uh, they expanded to some theatrical-style grandstand seats in places of benches, so they're going for comfort, mm-hmm. probably to draw, uh, to draw in a more affluent crowd. Uh, they figured they could get the more affluent crowd there if they went yeah. for comfort. Um, it, was, it was a demographic analysis, mm-hmm. <laughs> early times demographic analysis. Pretty cool. Uh, it increased uh, the, the stadium's capacity to nearly 12,000 fans. So um, basically, basically doubled the doubled the attendance possibilities there. Uh, April sixteenth, they reopened the new park. The Beavers officially reopened the new park on April sixteenth. Played the San Francisco Steel uh, Seals, uh, and the Beavers lost, unfortunately, hmm. on opening day, two to one. Yeah. 
However, uh, again, uh, the loss w- was was not a huge defeat. It was the it was the, the stadium itself and the draw and the attendance, the spectacle. Uh, the Oregonian, the Oregonian newspaper, been around a while, declared the stadium's reopening Portland's greatest baseball day in history, which is uh, very dramatic. But also, uh, considering that baseball had only yeah. been around Portland for twenty years, At doesn't have time, quite yeah. the quite the ring as it does now. But but you know, uh, newspaper tendency. So the big game was eclipsed by big news. However, uh, that that same year, uh, the Ocean Liner t- uh, Titanic went down, and it actually had gone down two days earlier. The Titanic had sunk, so uh, headlines were more devoted to that. You know, in the pre- that reminds me because in a previous the previous episode about the Pioneers, we had talked about um, Warren and how he was on the you know the Portland Pioneers baseball team, and that's right. He went down on his he went down and died on the sinking of the Titanic. And he was he was a former baseball Portland baseball icon. Yeah, so he died on the Titanic. The Titanic sinks two days before uh, the, uh, the the opening of the new Vaughn Street Park. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and so so there's that, that's that's wild. These Titanic connections. Yeah, exactly. So we've uh, we're kind of move, moving up into the Roaring Twenties, and, and you know you know you're familiar with kind of a shifts shifts in American society in the in the uh, in the Twenties. That was a boom time, uh, a boom time in terms of uh, entertainment and leisure, and that's that's uh, uh, that was a golden age for baseball. It was a golden age for for a lot of things, but you know with the economy with the economy just booming and the national economy to making a transition from an agrarian to bi- a business model economy, stocks mm-hmm. and bonds credit this and that uh, things were things were blowing up around the United States so in 1926 um, uh, at that point up to that point the stadium hadn't had much competition you know it was kind of a monopoly of its own essentially but it did get uh, it, did, it did get some local competition um, because people were starting to, uh, investors were starting to get a whiff of uh, the the Basically, potential of baseball financially. Yeah, and they opened the uh, uh, close to it, uh, the larger, more modern Loma Stadium, which is now Providence Park. Yep, and I believe um, that's only that was only two miles away from Vaughn Stadium at the time. Yeah, it? I mean you're you're talking not even across the river. So, yeah, it's like down the street. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah two miles to the south. That's intense competition. Yeah, very. I can only imagine the, the boardrooms of those two spots. Yeah. Um, and again, it was expected that the, the baseball team, who had just a few years earlier been christened the Beavers, would uh, move to the newer stadium. But the team elected and the team the team management elected to stay at Vaughn Street, to stay at Vaughn Street Park. So instead, Multnomah Stadium, which is now Providence Park, I'm going to quantify that, yeah. uh, was used for other sporting events, college football, Greyhound racing, uh, so on and so forth, and wasn't used early on for baseball mm-hmm. at all. And Vaughn Street Park was was mostly used for baseball, but it occasionally uh, occasionally some other events were hosted there, uh, such as uh, prize fighting. Boxing was huge in the 1920s. Yeah, you know, you've seen those images, um, and boxing was was absolutely huge. I mean, second, I mean, baseball was first, but bo- boxing was probably right beneath that in terms of uh, sports popularity. Mm-hmm. So coming through there, coming through there in the 20s and even the 30s, you know, there might there's there's a few recognizable names. Do you know know anyone who came through there? You have any idea of any of the the the, the, the common recognizable names? Uh, I think Ted Williams might have been one. That's right. Ted Williams played in Portland and um, showed he was man- kind, kind of a decent hitter. Ted yeah. Williams, you may have heard of him. Yeah, you may have heard yeah. of him. Lefty could, could you know he could swing a bat a little bit. I think Joe DiMaggio was another one. Joe DiMaggio did. He played there. So what was so? Let me, one of the things that was interesting. I was reading, uh, and actually not reading. I was listening to a um, an actual documentary that you can find on Amazon, and 
they talked about Joe DiMaggio coming to Vaughn Park and had he he had come into the particular this one particular game and he was on a slump and then when he got to Vaughn Stadium and he played in this particular game it started this extensive hit streak that went on and on so it was really interesting that at Vaughn Stadium Joe DiMaggio's hit streak started and it continued for like a significant period of time it didn't really say how long it continued after that but he obviously went on and played for the Yankees. I'm going to go ahead and give credit to the Portland air and that moist Portland air. <laughs> and, and I'm going to say that I'm going to give a lot of credit and say that was a huge influence on Joe DiMaggio's accomplishments. We're going to take credit for that as a city yeah. and, and our environment and ecosystem. We'll just go ahead and take some. So you're welcome, Joe DiMaggio. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Joe. Yeah. yeah. And a shout out to your brother, Dom, who was also really, really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, Satchel Paige, uh, a, a famous Negro League player. Just an absolute, uh, absolute icon of baseball played there. Mm-hmm. Joe Tinker, lesser recognized name, but a perennial all-star, uh, played there as well. Um, Ted Ted Williams, you mentioned, and what who some might consider the greatest athlete of all time, Jim Thorpe. Yeah, that, there. Was, that the was greatest really American athlete of all time. People would debate Jim Thorpe or uh, Bo Jackson. Uh, it's an interesting Thorpe debate. played football too, right? If I'm he correct, did. yeah. He did. So this is, I mean, that was just amazing. Just this think of the, the, the just the pedigree of. of people that went through that particular stadium so I was I was really interested in that yeah it's unbelievable I mean so again I guess we can take some credit for their careers in this day yeah now. but that's just fantastic because again you know and when we talk about Portland as a baseball town um, you know you might you generally I think the, the the assumption or stereotype is it is everything was Midwest or East Coast and Portland seen is seen as kind of newer this and that but we were Portland was doing it so to speak right along with these other major metropolitan areas uh, in in the late 19th century early 20th century I mean and, and so it was keeping up with the Joneses so to speak mm-hmm. um, and and again when we're trying to you're trying to shed light on and emphasize the kind of history and culture of this city and how it connects to baseball. So, so we're talking about, you know, you know, obviously there were struggles during the great depression during the 1930s and at times were tight and everybody was buckling down. Um, and so leisure, leisure really took a hit in the 1930s, but in the 1940s, um, uh, towards the end of World War II and even dur- and, and, and after World War II, things started to kind of bounce back in terms of uh, the economy and leisure time popularity. Uh, over the years, the, the team uh, kept going through uh, additional name changes. Uh, 1943, Lucky was added to the team name. So uh, you got the Lucky Beavers. And the stadium began uh, being called uh, Lucky Beaver Stadium. How many name changes is that? We've got... That's... Wall Street Park. Four? Yeah. Three or four? Yeah, we've got... Uh, We've got all, we've got the what, what is it the the stadium yeah Bond Street Park uh, we've got we've got all these uh, we've got all the these park. Uh, name, the park yeah. yeah we've got all these all these name changes so the interesting thing on the Lucky Beaver and the Lucky Beaver Stadium that I this documentary told me was is that they were sponsored by Lucky Lager Beer oh so that's where the Lucky that's where part of the Lucky piece came are you into. thinking about doing a Lucky Lager Beer drawing giveaway I don't know. I, I don't, <laughs> can we is, find some Lucky Lager yeah somewhere? somebody can find us some lucky lager beer that would be excellent all right that that that's your homework assignment kiddos i want you to dig up uh dig up anything about lucky lager beer yeah (laughs) all right um so uh, you know uh 
even though times were tough during World War II, um, towards the end of the the war, the last two, three years of the war, uh, things had gone on and, and people needed a distraction from from the war and, and the world events and this and that, um, that, that basically government officials and, and uh, the p- politicians would do just about anything. And, and people were craving, people were hungry to hold on to things that distracted them, things that took mm-hmm. their mind off the uh, mind off the desperate situation of the world. Um, and, and, and they needed something to rally around. Yep. And baseball just has that naturally. You know, mm-hmm. you can rally it. The, the players are very visible. The, the pace of the game is very relatable and you can connect to it. Yep. Um, the city uh, the city gave the Lucky Beavers an opening day parade through downtown to the stadium. <laughs> the team uh, rode through the streets on hay wagons. Um, <laughs> you don't I, see that anymore. Yeah, I'm, ima- I'm imagining Except that. Except at like an old-time fair. Yeah, just, just, just amazing. But w- one of the things about the World War II that I uh, was reading also also, when doing some research, some brief research on this, was that um, they, they said that the Beavers really essentially got lucky because they were able to have some talent on on the team during that period of time when a lot of uh, of the men went off to fight in the war. So, what I was getting from that was is that they they still stayed very competitive because th- they were able to have some talent. And, and how they did that, I don't know, but it was actually quite interesting to hear this that they were able to sustain some good baseball during that time that is pretty cool and again i think baseball at that point had been around long enough to where the the popularity had basically led to uh, like there were there was a surplus of talent mm-hmm. and as as leagues were developing uh there, there was in terms of uh there in terms of minor league clubs but uh high schools were adding the sport uh, there were summer league programs so kids were playing it younger mm-hmm. and and it was able the great thing was is our country was able to sustain baseball and sustain great baseball through world war one and world war two which is uh kind of kind of demonstrates the growth of the game in the first part yeah, of the 20th yeah, century. Yeah, exactly. So kind of shifting shifting uh, over to the, the, the mid and the late 40s, the team played there, but it also shared uh, shared itself as a home to the Portland Rosebuds, which mm. were a team owned by Olympic gold medalist Jesse Owens. Yeah, Jesse Owens was one of, in Berlin, right? Yeah. And he was one of the ones that raised his hand, like right. his, his fist and his arm in the air. And, you know, and, and I think what was, Hitler was like not happy with that. Yeah, I mean, so you're talking about a historical icon in terms of, um, it, it, you know, in the, in the height of uh, World War II, for him to go to Berlin and win gold medals and, it, it, you know, make a political statement just with athletic feats and, 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 and just a bold move of defiance. How cool is that, that we are strongly connected to Jesse Owens, yeah. uh, Portland? Um, and and, and that, that's just another one of those cool Portland connections that we have. Yeah, and I saw a thing that also said that uh, as one of the, the events that was put on for one of the Rosebuds was that he actually raced a horse. On the on the sidelines, you gotta be kidding me! No, it was shameless. Crazy. He's awesome and shameless, but when you're Jesse Owens, you, you can, can do, do that. It. You do yes. what you want. It didn't say whether he won or not, but the fact that he like raced a horse, it was just 
great. It's like it's like now oh um, Michael Phelps trying to race a shark. Hey, young <laughs> listeners, it's not going to be on YouTube. Don't look it up. Yes. Oh my gosh, that's fantastic. So anyway, the Rosebuds, uh, they were actually part of a separate organization. His team that he owned, the Rosebuds, mm-hmm. uh, they're part of the West Coast Baseball Association, which was an all-black league. Because if you remember, in the, it, it, at this part, this time, this is prior to Jackie Jackie Robinson breaking mm-hmm. the color barrier. Um, there's still segregation in baseball. Yep. Kind of a one of those dark mid 20th century historical things. So there's still segregation in baseball. But so he owned an all-black league. The league was headed by Abe Saperstein, who was the owner of the Harlem Globetrotters. Oh wow. So so the league is controlled. I mean, so Jesse Owens owns the team. Um, but the the league itself, the association itself, is is basically owned and headed by Abe Saperstein. So he was the owner of the Harlem Globe Globetrotters. So there's an, another interesting mm-hmm. kind of historical connection. Uh, but the league only lasted two months and it was disbanded. Oh wow! It sounds like um, it's it sounds like it's just the way it was run. It just didn't sounds like it wasn't sustainable. And and I think you know in terms of uh, politics and uh, in terms of. Uh, kind of uh, cultural dynamics. It seems like there were there were probably just too many challenges yeah. for it to be sustainable, and and there were there were, there were massive shifts going on going on in the baseball climate at that time as well. Mm-hmm. So now now we're still kind of heading heading to the nineteen forties. So kind of a a, a a little bit of a tragedy. Uh, nineteen forty seven, the center field bleachers burned. There was an early morning fire on September twenty one first. A smoldering cigarette caused a center fielder bleacher fire. Um, um, now, the stadium itself survived. Stadiums itself survived. However, the stadium had been condemned months earlier by fire inspectors. One of the other things I was looking at was like in 1946, it, they, they talked about the stadium had degraded to the point where the fire marshal uh, issued a report that was a fire hazard and suggested that the new grounds be built for the team. And... Uh, permission was granted until 1948 to still use the park and city commissioners were really upset with the fact that every time they tried to condemn the stadium Mm -hmm. that the owners of the ballpark would do just enough to make it so it wouldn't be condemned so that was pretty interesting and then um, they went on to say that they blamed a smoldering cigarette and that it caused $2,500 in damage because because of all the papers and stuff from the the brochures from the games and the peanuts that were below uh the the actual bleachers the cigarette caught into there caught on fire that was like tinder yeah so in 1955 uh so it survived so in 1955 the stadium was uh bought by new owners who later announced that they would tear it down uh so the the beavers moved to their rival stadium uh you know the stadium that was two miles away Mm -hmm. Multnomah stadium in 1956 um uh, the stadium was raised or leveled that that same year. Um, so Vaughn Street was destroyed or leveled uh, in 1956, but it survived. The grass, the grass field from Vaughn Street was transplanted to Multnomah Stadium. Oh, really? Yes. However, 13 years later, 1969, uh, Multnomah Stadium, now Providence Park, mm-hmm. Uh, installed artificial turf. Wow. So they tried to keep it alive, but uh, the only constant is change. Yeah. Just to add on a little bit from like what you're saying is um, what I was reading is, is that it, it was said to be a hitter-friendly park. And just to give some uh, some statistics, it said left field was 331 feet from home plate. Center field was 368 
feet from home plate, and right field is 315. Now, the, 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 the closest outfield fence that I'm aware of in Major League Baseball right now, I think is at Fenway uh, down the right field line, and I think that's about 315, 310 yeah, feet, if I recall. I think there's a pole there that we might be talking about later on. We might be talking on. about later on, yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned. But, uh, Sounds like some Yankee Stadium dimensions to me. Yeah, and, and the other thing, too, is, is back on that fire, um, what I also read is that the newspaper, The Oregonian, reported that the fire had spread to the adjoining electrical steel foundry and ran about $30,000 in damage to that facility. Which in the 1950s is a, a lot of yeah. money. Yeah. And, um, and then another three to th- 400 grand. Yeah. yeah. And then another thing was, is that so they said that home runs were camouflaged behind the plumes of smoke from the adjacent foundry. So basically found this same electrical steel foundry and you can see pictures online out in right field where there's this foundry behind it and all the smoke is coming up and that's what I saw online when and I was looking at We're not talking EPA regulations here, yeah. so we're talking thick smoke. Yeah, I mean, and yeah. so they says that, quote, an outfielder prepared with a ball in his pocket can successfully fake that he has caught a fly ball when it's like a home uh, run or I something. wanted to try that in Little League. Yeah. I'll, I'll bet they tried it. And then the last thing is is that you talk about the fires and uh, there was a gentleman named by, by the name of Benevento, uh, Rocky Benevento, who was a groundskeeper there at the park and talking about all these fires and the cigarettes. And the quote says, fans, young and old, knew that the beloved groundskeeper, Rocky Benevento, expected them to shovel sand conveniently located in barrels to douse fires started by a uh, stray cigarette among the paper wrappings and peanut Shell. So can you imagine? Okay, you're at a baseball game and you're your own fire marshal. Nightmare. Fire marshal Bill Burnt hair. (laughs) (laughs) That's an early 90s in living living color reference for those of you who are in your uh, 40s, 50s. You know what we're talking about. Fire marshal Bill. Yeah. So, but the last thing that I have is is that the field was designed to give all fans an uninstructed view of the playing field. So, I mean, this place sounded magnificent. Can you just imagine being back in this time frame? and going to a game and just hearing the roar of the people and the excitement. The, the, the accessibility, you're close to the field, uh, the cost, I mean, an absolute treasure. Just, just, I, I get, I get nostalgic, an absolute treasure. And I got to say, Dave, you know, hearing what you had to say about it and what I read about the stadium, it was just magnificent to continue to learn more about the deep, rich history of baseball in Oregon itself, but to learn more about Vaughn Stadium. And I mean, I'm a transplant from the North. East, but I've never heard of Vaughn Stadium until we started doing working on this podcast, started looking into these things. But it was really nice to be able to look into this. You know what I'm hoping at some point, you know, the, the when when baseball does not if, mind you, when yeah. baseball does come to Portland, I I'm hoping that there's some kind of uh, I'll say. Uh, rousing tribute to the history of baseball in Portland and these and these stadiums of old. I think that'd be really cool mm-hmm. um, just to give people some context, give people some historical perspective. And I hope the 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 uh, the people in charge of this um, um, kind of uh, relish in that history. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you, you named the field like Vaughn Field or right. or you know, something to commemorate it. But um, so. 
I think that will do it for for this episode. We really appreciate you listening. I, I we hope you learned a lot more, just like we did. I'm Dave, and I'm Ben, and uh, you you have a great day and peace out. <laughs> <laughs>